0: everyone and welcome to the May 1st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee an attorney with the Floyd Skirin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. In recent panel decisions, the WCAB seems to be less forgiving of litigants who assert what seems to be obvious facts in a case, but then do not submit substantial evidence to prove their assertion. In this case, Cheryl Claytor was injured in 2014 while employed as a doctor's assistant, and she treated with Dr. Spencer as her PTP until 2019. On September 3, 2019, Claytor sent the state fund a letter selecting Dr. Scott Small as her PTP and then requested to change him to be her treating doctor and the PTP. So, Dr. Small provided treatment to her from 2019 until 2020, but she also continued to receive treatment from Dr. Spencer while also treating with Dr. Small. In 2020, Claytor sent a letter to the state fund requesting to change back to Dr. Spencer as her PTP again, but the state fund this time replied that it ended the contract with that provider effective July 27, 2020. The matter then proceeded to trial on the sole issue of resuming treatment with Dr. Spencer as the PTP outside of the medical provider network. And after trial, the work comp judge permitted her to do so. The state fund petitioned for reconsideration, but it was denied in the panel decision of Cheryl Claytor versus the state compensation insurance fund. If an employer is established in MPN, injured workers are generally limited to treating within a physician from the employer's MPN. The appeals board held in the 2007 en banc Babbitt decision that a defendant may transfer an injured worker to an MPN in conformity with applicable statutes and regulations, regardless of the date of injury or the date of an award of future medical treatment. In this case, the state fund argued that Miss Claytor was brought back into the MPN when she selected Dr. Small as her PTP and thus she may not now choose a non-MPN physician absent a denial of care. However, state fund offered no evidence that Dr. Small is actually in the MPN. In fact, that applicant has not conceded And the WCAB cannot presume that Dr. Small is in the MPN based solely on the state fund's assertion that she is a member of it. There is substantial evidence to show years of treatment outside the MPN and no effective transfer of care returning her to treatment within the MPN. Under these circumstances, the applicant is entitled to resume treatment with her non-MPN physician, Dr. Spencer, as her PTP. However, the defendant may return her to the MPN by complying with the statutory and regulatory requirements for transfer of care and continuity of care policies. The lesson here is to make sure every essential detail needed to prove and win an issue has been meticulously documented and proven at trial. And in employment law litigation, the 2nd District Court of Appeal published a pair of decisions involving the legal standards for determining unconscionable arbitration clauses. These two cases raised the same vital question in contract law. What exactly is California's test for unconscionability. In the case of Bassith versus Letha Motors and the companion case of Fuentes versus Empire Nissan, both cases involved employees of unrelated Nissan dealerships in Southern California who agreed to similar Nissan form arbitration clauses when hired. Both sued the dealership for labor code violations, and the dealership filed motions to compel arbitration of the disputes. Mohammed Basseth signed an arbitration agreement electronically after Nissan terminated Bars- uh, Basseth. He sued them. When Evangelina Yanez Fuentes applied to work at another Nissan dealership, she signed paper documents, and the longest paragraph squeezed 900 words into about three vertical inches. The employer moved to arbitrate in each case. Font size was a dominating issue in one case, Fuentes, and entirely absent as an issue in Basith's case. Basith did not state he had trouble reading these documents, but instead complained that it was written in legalese which he could not understand. For these reasons, the trial judge in each case declared the arbitration clause unconscionable and then denied an order to arbitrate. The Court of Appeal reversed the trial judge and sent both employees to arbitration in the published case of both of these individuals. It cited the Supreme Court of California, which ruled in the 2019 OTO LLC v. Co case, that the unconscionability defense has two mandatory elements. A party must establish both procedural and substantive unconscionability. The opinion noted that nearly every form employment contract can be perceived as having some procedural unfairness. However, the law attributes some procedural unfairness to every form employment contract. The real fight boils down to whether the substance of the final terms are fair, and courts must enforce the contract if its substance is even-handed. Tiny font size and unreadability go to the process of contract formation, but not the substance of the agreement, and the terms of any contract can be fair or unfair in substance, no matter what the font size was. Under California law, an agreement must be both procedurally and substantively unconscionable to be unenforceable, and allowing a single feature to count for both categories the court said would nullify this requirement. And a complaint about legal ease is the same type of objection as the complaint about font size. If the substance of a contract is fair, How the contract is expressed cannot change that. And now our crime report. 44-year-old Stefan Gavorkian, who lives in Studio City, faces five felony counts and has been charged with impersonating a medical doctor for several years and practicing medicine on thousands of individuals with no license. Javorkian owns and operates Pathways Medical on Riverside Drive in Toluca Lake, and he conducts blood tests on patients, advises them on treatments, and offers treatment for serious conditions including cancer and viral infections. The investigation included information obtained by an undercover investigator who sought advice from his office. Javorkian's preliminary hearing, was scheduled for May 24th in Department 36 of the Fultz Criminal Justice Center. This case is being investigated by the California Department of Consumer Affairs, Division of Investigation, and prosecuted by the District Attorney's Consumer Protection Division. Prosecutors are currently attempting to identify further victims, and anyone who believes they may have been a victim in this case should call The Consumer Protection Hotline at 213-257-2465. That's 213-257-2465. 65-year-old Dr. Janda Harden Grandi, who lives in Bakerfield, he has been sentenced to one year and one day of prison for tax evasion after pleading guilty of that offense back in October 2022. According to court documents, Grandy was a pain management doctor in Bakersfield, doing business as Central Valley Pain Management on Truxton Avenue B in Bakersfield. He willfully filed false business tax returns that had overstated expenses for several years and false individual tax returns for himself, that omitted gross receipts he received. And in total, Grundy evaded personal tax liability exceeding $300,000. During those tax years, Grundy provided checks to employees claiming to be reimbursements for employee expenses that were then included as deductions on the business tax returns he filed. And he claimed the reimbursements were for out-of-pocket costs incurred by employees for continuing medical education, meals, mileage, and travel expenses. But in many cases, those expenses were never incurred by these employees. And Grandy instructed those employees to cash the checks and provide the cash back to him, which he deposited into accounts controlled by him or his family members. And then he provided false documentation to his tax preparer to support the false deductions. The Labor Commissioner's Office has reached a nearly $1.5 million settlement regarding wage theft citations issued against three client employers and their owner, based on violations committed by five Los Angeles-area poultry processors who underpaid more than 300 workers. The settlement resolves litigation following a 2021 hearing officer decision which upheld citations against the three client employer companies and its owner, Tony Brand. The affected workers were paid by the piece to debone chicken legs at facilities in East Los Angeles and La Puente. They were not provided paid rest breaks, were not paid properly for overtime, and were not compensated for time required to wait for shipments of chicken to arrive and for deponed chicken to be removed from their work area. And some workers also made less than minimum wage. In addition, the poultry processors failed to maintain workers' compensation insurance. The Labor Commissioner's Bureau of Field Enforcement began its investigation after a worker filed a complaint alleging wage violations in the summer of 2017. The investigation found that the poultry processors operating in two facilities leased by the client employer, Tony Brand, he and his companies leased the processing facilities, supplied the chicken to be boned, and sold the deboned chicken to their customer. But the poultry processors who directly employed the workers were several other companies. California law holds client employers' businesses that obtained labor from a labor contractor responsible for their contractor's workplace violations. After a 10-day hearing, the hearing officer upheld the unpaid wages and penalties. Citations with minor modifications against Mr. Brann and his client employer companies, and also determined that Mr. Brand and his companies were client employers to the five poultry processor labor contractors. And he then found that Brand and his companies were responsible for the amounts due to the workers and penalties for wage violations and for the failure to have workers' compensation pursuant to California's client-employer liability law. Brand and his client-employer companies filed a request that the Los Angeles Superior Court review this decision. However, Brand and his client-employer subsequently agreed to settle with the Labor Commissioner's office. That office has already received the $1.47 million settlement amount and is in the process of locating effective workers to pay them the money they are owed. And in regulatory news, the Department of Labor's Office of Workers' Compensation, that's OWCP, provides workers' compensation coverage to about 2.6 million federal and postal workers through the Federal Employees' Compensation Act, that's FECA program, Federal Employees' Compensation Act, FECA. Back in 2015 and 2016, a sharp increase in pharmaceutical spending for the program raised some concerns. A subsequent Office of Inspector General, Work, found OWCB had not done enough to ensure it paid the best prices for prescription drugs, specifically noting the lack of a pharmacy benefit manager on the federal program to help contain costs. OWCB, then said it took a number of actions to reduce pharmaceutical spending, including implementing controls on prescriptions for compounded drugs and for opioids. However, the Office of the Federal Inspector General remained concerned about OWCP's ability to effectively manage the cost, as well as the use of pharmaceuticals in the FECA program. Given these concerns, the U.S. Office of Inspector General recently contracted with an independent certified accounting firm to conduct another audit to determine if OWCB had indeed effectively managed pharmaceutical spending since the 2015-16 audit. The new accountant's audit included analyzing six years of pharmaceutical data from 2016 through 2020, interviewing management, reviewing policies, procedures, and the FICA program to, and comparing that to industry best practices and other workers' compensation programs. The March 2023 Office of Inspector General Audit report now found that OWCP did not effectively manage pharmaceutical spending during these years and did not pay the best available prices for prescription drugs. The accounting firm identified up to $321 million in excess spending during the audit period. In addition, it did not effectively monitor pharmaceutical policy changes, resulting in injured workers receiving thousands of inappropriate prescriptions and potentially lethal drugs, including fast-acting fentanyl, after issuing a policy that restricted its use and it also failed to timely identify and address emerging issues and did not perform sufficient oversight of prescription drugs that are highly scrutinized and rarely covered in workers' compensation programs. The FICA program never had a mechanism or a contract to incorporate rebates for par- pharmacy expenditures during the audit period, which most insurance carriers do. The auditors made 10 recommendations to strengthen management of pharmaceuticals in the federal program, and OWCAP generally agreed with the latest recommendations. Los Angeles Union Station is the largest railroad passenger terminal in the western United States. It opened back in 1939 and now serves as a major transportation hub for Southern California. It was recently found to have a series of Americans with Disabilities Act violations, including accessibility issues, wide gaps in walkways, a passenger loading zone that did not have a compliant curb ramp, various signage issues, and other ADA violations. Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act prohibits public entities from discriminating against any individual on the basis of disability, including by excluding such individual from participating or denying such individual the benefits of the services, programs, or activities of the public entity. Following this investigation, the Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority entered into a settlement agreement that it requires the transit agency to remedy the violations. The agreement requires Metro to hire an independent licensed architect to conduct initial survey and annual inspections of Union Station. Then provide the United States Attorney's Office with a list of all the violations identified by the independent licensed architect, and then remedy all of the violations that were identified. Now, with the Union Station Agreement, the United States Attorney's Office has resolved a total of 17 ADA investigations of rail stations in Southern California, including with cities and agencies responsible for the stations in various cities and counties. And now in medical news, proposed legislation would enact important changes to hold dangerous doctors, more accountable in California, but according to a consumer watchdog, the proposal excludes crucial reforms that they say will continue to threaten patient safety. Under current law, the Medical Board of California is comprised of 15 members, eight physicians and seven public members, meaning the public members are in a minority. Now, the proposed new law, SB 815, creates a public member majority on the medical board by adding two additional public members, which was the top priority of patient advocates in the state. However, However, advocates say the proposed law fails to provide for patients' rights in the enforcement process or receive timely information about their doctors. The legislation under consideration is the Medical Board's Sunset Review Bill, and it must be passed this year. The bill creates a complainant liaison unit at the Medical Board to interact with the members of the public, but does not give people who file a complaint rights in the enforcement process. That means, for example, the Board does not have to even interview the patient who is harmed or the loved ones of a patient who died before closing their case. The bill also does not address advocates' call for greater disclosure of doctors' records online and in person, so patients will remain in the dark if their doctor has harmed other patients. The bill does, however, propose several important reforms that patient advocates have championed and support, including changing the balance of power on the board, by giving it more public than doctor members and reducing the standard of proof in doctor discipline cases to match that used by 41 other state boards and reduce the time and cost of these investigations. Under current case law, the board is required to obtain clear and convincing proof to a reasonable certainty in order to discipline a doctor. This is a higher burden of proof than 41 other jurisdictions, throughout the United States and territories, which generally apply a preponderance of evidence standard. So, the proposed new law specifies that the standard of proof for a violation that, indeed, would result in license suspension or revocation still be by a clear and convincing evidence standard, but only a preponderance of evidence standard would be required for any other violation. The rapid expansion of virtual healthcare has caused a surge in pe- patient ma- uh, messages, that's electronic messages, causing more work and burnout among the healthcare professionals. The pandemic resulted with a 1.6 fold increase in electronic patient messages, with each message adding 2.3 minutes of work in the electronic health record and more after hours work by healthcare professionals. As a result, some medical researchers began thinking that perhaps artificial intelligence, AI, assistants would potentially aid in in creating answers to patient questions by drafting responses that could be reviewed by clinicians. And the researchers proposed a study to evaluate the ability of an AI chat box assistant, known as ChatGBT, to provide quality of empathetic responses to patient questions, and the results of the study were just published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine. In this cross-sectional study of 195 randomly drawn patient questions taken from a social media forum, a team of licensed healthcare professionals compared physicians and chatbot responses to the same patient questions, The chatbot responses were preferred over physician responses and rated significantly higher for both quality and empathy. Of the 195 questions and responses, evaluators preferred chatbot responses to physicians in 78.6% of the evaluations. Thus, the researchers concluded that further exploration of this technology is warranted in clinical settings, such as using chat box to draft responses that physicians could then edit. They say randomized trials could assess further if using AI assistance might improve responses, lower clinical burnout, and improve patient outcomes. And now in other industry news, Digging deeper into the ChatGPT technology, GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, a type of language model that uses deep learning to generate human-like conversational text. ChatGPT is an artificial intelligence chat box developed by OpenAI and released in November 2021. It works by gathering data written by people, and using computing predictions to analyze questions and queries inputted by users. The latest version of GPT is GPT 4, which has been adopted by a number of companies, including Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and IBM. The technology is now the tool of choice for the intelligent digital worker that can work across pieces of software and data stores to automate increasingly sophisticated processes. Earlier this year, it was reported that GPT-4 successfully passed the Uniform Bar Exam for prospective attorneys with flying colors in every field and test segment, even outperforming the average human student. And the technology is now on the doorstep of workers' compensation claims. That's because Sedgwick has launched Sidekick, which they say is an industry first integration using Microsoft's OpenAI tools and services to give claims professionals an advantage in their daily work. The application, which leverages OpenAI's GPT 4 technology, is Cedric's first use of GPT. It is designed for internal use within the company's secure Azure environment and will allow Cedric colleagues to explore the impact of generative artificial intelligence performance and natural language processing on a day-to-day task. It joins Cedric's existing set of tools powered by AI in transforming the way people interact and leverage technology for better outcomes. Cedric's CEO said, that Cedric is proud to be the first in the industry to utilize GPT for improved claims. Cedric has designed to supercharge claims professionals and help them move through some of the administrative tasks of claims management at speeds never before possible. Automating important but routine aspects of work processes will help them gain value from information more quickly and they say relay it back to clients effectively. Cedric intends to scan PDF documents to produce automated content summaries and adding the highlights to the appropriate claim file and to quickly uncover key data to help complete tasks. Cedric anticipates future iterations of the application may be able to produce entire claim summaries identify risk factors on individual claims and programs, explore emerging data trends, and much more. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy, with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I am Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, Manuki, and Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.